Hello and welcome to Disruptive Voices, a podcast series exploring the triumphs, frustrations and learnings of women working in fintech. I'm Kimberly Long, age editor at The Banker, and in this episode, Cryptocurrencies, Equalizer or Divider, we will be discussing how crypto is either the most exciting or the most divisive developments in fintech in recent years, depending on your perspective. I'll be joined by women who have been at the forefront of crypto to explain how they ended up working in this nascent space, what the culture of working within crypto is like, and what their goals are for expanding the sector. To begin the discussion, I'm speaking with Nelly Chachue Diop, founder and CEO of West African crypto investment platform, Ijara. Nelly, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Kimberly. I'm so happy to be here today. So Nelly, to begin with, at the start of your journey, you've had a long career in finance, but what was the motivation for you to establish a crypto company? Yeah, so basically I had a two-leg career, right? I had like a very low, because I'm a computer science engineer, so my foundation has always been technology, uh, but technology in a sense that uh, putting it forth to bring value to a company, to people. And when I got exposed to finance after my MBA, notably at London Business School and HEC Paris, I could find the way to kind of relate the two in order to better the lives of my community back in Africa. How does that relate to crypto, right? Because I'm talking about traditional finance, technology, uh, it dates back to like 2015 when I read a post about like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. I read the white paper of Satoshi Nakamoto and I fell down the rabbit hole right there and then. And I think that's when I started portraying like many use cases, uh, especially serving the Francophone African community back at home on in the diaspora. And I think that's where basically my journey started. And within that development of creating your own crypto platform, you've really made sure that women are at the heart of Ajara and your own team is mostly female. And you also have a goal to have 50% users as well. Why is that focus on women so important to you? Uh, easy answer. I'm a woman. And the other part <laughs> of that, you know, like when, when you talk about like finance, financial education, technology, uh, women are always overlooked. Uh, most of the time, uh, the applications, the tools that you will encounter really don't take us into account, really don't speak to us. Let me give you an example. Mm. When I was looking at many crypto platforms, what was really put forth was speculations, like trading, as if it, it was kind of a gambling. And mm. I was yearning for something about like investing responsibly you know learning about this new asset class emerging even how could leverage some of it like the stable coins to do like less risky type of investment like saving uh earning some like regular yield all those kind of things that appeal to women. I mean, for us, we like to think in terms of project, in terms of like, I want to put my money now in order maybe to accomplish that for my kids or for myself or for my home. And uh, it wasn't the case uh, for what I was 
when I was looking at it. And I think one thing that will also explain it is the fact that when you want to build something that is inclusive, then at the heart of the company, you also have to be inclusive. So at EJHI, you know, our head of engineering is female, 60% of the engineering team is female. We are a balanced team. Uh, across uh, uh, the company, whether in the top management, so you know, a lot of companies say they are balanced team, where they're balanced team in the in the, at the entry level, at, at the mm -hmm. top management you find like five percent of women. That's not the case at EJ. Mm -hmm. So uh, we made sure that we were the, a good reflection of the community we want to serve. So I put forth women, but I would say that we are very much inclusive. And, and, and that shows because our customers tell us that we did something right. Since like 40% of our customers are female, which is uh, uh, quite an accomplishment in that crypto ecosystem. I think it's really true what you say when you hear about crypto, it's so often male dominated in terms of the everyday investors and also really those who are looking to speculate and make money out of crypto is so often men. And I think it's interesting that you're finding really that it's the opposite. And actually, if you put women front and center of the offering, they're really as interested as men are. And maybe they just need an offering that fits their goals a bit better and isn't, as you say, just purely speculative. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And also, I think some part of education, right, we also made sure from day one to launch our Ijara school on YouTube so that we could demystify a lot of the terms that sometimes seems very scary. And we find that a lot of our subscribers at Ijara school, you know, like watching those two, three minutes uh, uh, videos are women because they want to understand. They want to understand what they are doing. Uh, uh, they want to make sure that, you know, it's not too far from uh, what they want to achieve or it's not too far from what they are willing to go through when it comes to uh, uh, putting the hard-earned money in, in the hands of someone else and in our case, they're not even putting it in our hands. So we needed to make sure to explain to them the difference between a centralized system, a decentralized system, a custodial system, a non-custodial system. So all those things that could seem like very scary at first, uh, we made sure to put like financial education, whether online or offline, because we also have like offline group of women that we entertain on a monthly basis to make sure that they expand their knowledge when it comes to that uh, 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 finance uh, 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 ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So I think what is really interesting is what you say, you've got women in all the different levels of the organization from the developer side right through to the top of the company. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of the conversations I have are around how really there aren't many women who are actually moving into the space and who are actually studying to go into fintech. And I think it's interesting to hear from you, your experience of coming at this as a developer of a crypto company and being based in Cameroon. So what do you see in the African crypto space? Is it more diverse maybe than we see globally? Because we can see from the figures that only 5% of crypto entrepreneurs are female. And I'm curious about if in Africa there's a different take on this and if there are more women moving into the space. So um, first, let me take the first part of the question. Uh, mm -hmm. how, how is it? About, I mean, 
how does it look like like developing a crypto company in Cameroon because mm -hmm. it's strange even when you heard about like a uh, uh, crypto uh, uh, increasing in terms of like adoption in Africa uh, the most likely countries you will heard of would be Nigeria mm -hmm. um, South Africa Kenya but not Cameroon or Francophone Africa right And when you start kind of, I mean, launching a company everywhere in the world is a challenge. But when you start like in Africa, especially like in West Central Africa, then you have like other other challenges. Like how do you even deal with like making sure you uh, go for like, or you handle the power outages? How do you make sure you have a sustainable internet connection, like the network, the stability of the network? So all this, you have to deal on top of the regular challenges of launching a company. And when it comes to like the banking system, uh, it's not like as well developed here that it's developed elsewhere. And that's maybe like, uh, but also a pro and that also might explain why uh, crypto is ha is having such a, a greater adoption rate in in africa because mm -hmm. the traditional rails are not there for everyone uh, they are not as inclusive as they should be or they say they aspire to be in our uh, francophone region i think we are at best at 20 percent uh, people being banked uh, mm. but in some countries you even are at five percent mm. uh, so so many like uh, and people you know in, in internet kind of democratized access to information and made people be able to kind of develop skills they can sell abroad but how do they get paid So this is like a, 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 a basic use case, right? Mm -hmm. You have merchants now here wanting to do, I mean, doing businesses, having suppliers overseas, but how do they make it happen? You know, if they go for the banking race, not even mentioning the fees, but think about the delays and the hurdles, it's, it's crazy. Um, so this for the first part. So as for uh, women having, like uh, more appetite uh, to crypto in uh, in africa i do believe like in africa obviously uh, uh, the the finance are already handled by, by women on, on, on a daily basis you will see women might earn less uh, they might have less money but they're the greatest savers they are the one Uh, making a lot of the investment decision in the in the family, so it's no wonder it was no wonder for me that they were they would be maybe more interested into learning about it since they are already uh, accustomed to to try to understand like how they can use like the 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 family money the, the little they have to uh, to make it to make sure that it can achieve the goals they have in the future. Um, But you know they have like many constraints to do that. They have so many constraints, uh, and I will mention like uh, one thing that uh, attracted me since day one uh, uh, with crypto. Uh, it was the the ownership part, like really being uh, the sole proprietary of your assets, because in so many regions uh, still now in Africa, women don't. Cannot inherit land, uh, for example, from the from their dads or, or their husband, and it's really crazy because when you go ask for a loan, for example, they always ask you for a collateral. And women having less land mm -hmm. titles, uh, 
which is like the gold to collateral here in Africa, it means that, you know, they, 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 they are really, really screwed, like through and through. And the fact with Bitcoin and the likes is that for the first time, they can have an asset that nobody can confiscate, mm. nobody beat their home and, you know, and, 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 and steal their wealth. And with Ijaha, we are even, we started working with some microfinances in order to make sure how can those women that have, start, that have started saving uh, uh, some of their money in cryptocurrencies can leverage that as collateral to kind of take a loan in uh, in fiat in regular fiat money and you know and maybe expand their uh, tomato business in the market or maybe launch like a a beef stew kind of uh, a, a kitchen uh, in a food court in mm -hmm. another uh, in another market so uh that's the kind of thing we are thinking of. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we also have those ideas because in our midst, we are a company that has a lot of women and those women represent our mom, our grandmom, mm -hmm. our sisters, and we can directly relate to them. So we can directly relate to their challenges and try to find use cases that solve their unique challenges. Really, everything you're talking about today is just how there is that low level of bank account penetration, for example, and also the importance of women women learning more. It all really ties into the other part of the business you have, which is Ejera Cares, which provides financial literacy support for young girls and women. And I suppose we've talked about this a lot already, but what was your motivation for building this and really from the very beginning of the company? And what do you hope to achieve by having this set up? Yeah, for us, you know, uh, Ijaha, our vision is like we are a community first, right? We think about the community. And what better way to strengthen the community than to strengthen the foundation of the community? And the foundation for us was education. And we thought that uh, let's start having uh, those, good those good habits from day one because it's not when you are very rich that you can give back. Mm -hmm. You can give back at the beginning. And at first, when we hadn't even raised any money, giving back was us putting forth our time, our, ener our energy, our resources on the weekends to kind of organize like training from young girls, young boys, uh, in uh, whether in blockchain or even like in plain financial literacy. And as time goes by, we wanted with a little bit more money that we were able to have, we really wanted to give some solid skills uh, uh, to, uh, to some young girls that we identify, especially we concentrated on girls from the orphanages. So mm -hmm. we are still running our initial uh, um, kind of uh, uh, meetups where we really welcome like everyone. But uh, uh, really last year we focused on launching like this special training, uh, STEM training with uh, 10 girls from orphanages where we have them go through uh, a really rigorous uh, a computer science like training, uh, expose them also to uh, a financial literacy courses. And, you know, at the end of every single quarter, they validate it, we validate like what they have learned. And we really want to make sure that as time elicits, they progress. And uh, the benefit of that uh, with those girls being on orphanages is that usually when you are an orphan in Africa and you are a girl, 
uh, they direct you through like oh maybe you can be a seamstress maybe mm. you can maybe you can become a cleaning lady maybe you know those type of uh, but you but you never dream to be a computer a, a computer scientist or an engineer mm. or someone like versed into like uh, a finance right and having those girls start starting to dream because they are from like uh, five different orphanages we noticed that not only like the other girls in the orphanages get exposed to that and get uh, and get their minds open to what's out there to what's like the new world will look like and that they can fully participate because a lot of the resources are available for free but we've seen that even the people that were taking taking care of the orphans, the women taking care of the orphans uh, uh, came to us and told us that they wanted also to get better at it because they had more and more questions from the orphans in the mm -hmm. orphanage. And we love that because we see that if a crypto and blockchain and this new finance ecosystem is an equalizer, we want to make sure no one is left off, right? It's not because you are not like, in, you don't have like your parents and that maybe can pass on to you all the info they have been exposed to for this channel or that channel that you don't you cannot participate in that in, in in that new era so that was our belief so from community first enlarging the community and making sure that no one is left off uh, that's such an amazing message to end with thank you so much nelly for sharing your time with me today you're welcome it was a lovely time spending <laughs> it. Welcome to chapter two of this episode on cryptocurrencies. I'm joined by Caitlin Long, founder and CEO of Custodia Bank. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Thanks so much. Nice to be here. So you've been working in Bitcoin for a decade now, which is a very long time and such a nascent <laughs> technology. So what was it that drew you to being, in, being an early adopter? Well, I was working on Wall Street. I was managing director at Morgan Stanley, running a business within capital markets uh, for pension solutions. And uh, I came across it after, really indirectly as a result of my curiosity after the financial crisis. I started reading about a lot of alternative schools of economic thought. And there was one particular school of economic thought that was very, very early to Bitcoin, it didn't embrace it across the board, but uh, I started seeing references to it in around 2012, didn't really dig in until 2013 and get my first wallet back then. But uh, it's just like, so like everybody, right? You first see this and say, there's no way this can work. And then when you dig in, you start realizing, oh, wow, it, it can and start peeling the layers of the onion back and uh, never find a real fault with it. Uh, it's it's definitely got its drawbacks in how it's being used, but the actual technology is unbelievably powerful. And I always like to point out that it's almost at Six Sigma levels of quality control with regard to network uptime, which is a stunning fact when you consider that there's no system administrator, there's no firewall, it lives in the wilds of the internet and is attacked every day. And it just gets harder and harder and you know more hardened from an IT perspective. And, and then all the tech upgrades are done while the network continues to operate and they're all backwards compatible with each other. So it is a, truly, a, from an engineering perspective, a marvel. Mm -hmm. And since that time of your first introduction to Bitcoin, you know, this crypto space has changed a lot over 10 years. 
So what was the space first like when you entered and also as being a woman and as such an early adopter? Ah, well, it was it was more pure than it is now. It's been infected by the the games that Wall Street or in the UK, the city have brought to financial markets. There's been a lot of leverage based financialization, and that has had a dampening effect on the upside of the price in the four year cycles and uh, actually causes the downside correction to be worse, uh, which is why in this cycle, this is my third four year cycle in Bitcoin uh, that, we're, that we're into. And so this this crypto winter, this is my third one. And, I, and in the previous two crypto winters, the low did not pierce the low of the previous, uh, the high of the previous cycle, but in this one it did. And, and, and that is, I think, in large part because the the there there's so much speculation and leverage in this industry and i lament that and when we started to see a lot of the more aggressive business models and frankly criminals um have their companies go bust i said good riddance i never defended them and frankly um wish we could go back to the days when we didn't have all the speculators and and hedge funds and um and and you know just the the the, the short-term focused uh, sort of almost gamblers that are looking for the quick buck in Bitcoin. In in the early days, it was everybody had a very long term horizon. We knew we were building for generations, and uh, no one was really focused on short term. And I still think, just as we all did back then, that the price of Bitcoin is the least interesting aspect of it. Um, that the engineering, the technology itself doesn't care whether there's a secondary market for it. And I like to point out that Nick Zabo, who's one of the two living people who is most likely to be Satoshi Nakamoto, he says, we don't need liquidity in Bitcoin markets. Those who wanna bring liquidity to it uh, are doing so with leverage and they're hurting Bitcoin. He didn't say that part, but he did say, you don't need liquid markets. All you need is to be able to get in and get out pot uh, potentially once in each case. <laughs> and uh, and so you don't need to be able to trade in and out of it every day. This is not about trying to bring the trading spreads down between the bid and offer, which is a sign of a liquid market. This is about just being able to know that you have that insurance policy and can get into it once and get out of it once. And I'm with him. It's, it, I, I do not believe that the short-term speculators have helped. And in fact, I think they've set us back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with within that, the insecurity, that kind of the, the concerns around, you know, if people could lose money, things like that make some people more reluctant to engage with cryptocurrencies, bitcoins. And I think that has a, an impact on often how many women really want to get involved with mm. it. So what do you think can be done to bring more women into using crypto, but also actually working in the space like like you do? You know, what what do you think would encourage more people at the beginning of their careers, maybe looking for career change to think actually crypto might be a, a good career option for me? Well, we're certainly seeing it with the millennials. And one of the things that I love and lament about the previous bull market is that it did pull in a lot of people from communities that are not as well served by traditional banks, people of color and women. And, and that's been particularly true in the US. I suspect it's true globally as well, uh, because people are looking for an honest place 
to store their hard-earned wealth. And we all recognize that with the inflation that's happening, there, there is a growing concern about the stability of fiat currencies. We see that. Um, we live it every day. Now, uh, the, the response is, well, the price volatility of Bitcoin is so high that it's actually worse. And in the short term, that's been true. But that has nothing to do with Bitcoin itself. And I still, again, see Bitcoin as that ultimate insurance policy. So it's interesting because I do believe that women generally, in my experience, having worked on Wall Street, been uh, you know, oftentimes the only woman in the room, never bothered me. I'd learned how to, to, uh, to, to function in that world well. And, uh, and, and, but I, I did recognize that, that women tend to be more conservative. Um, they tend to be less roll the dice. And that is one of the reasons why I think there were fewer women in the beginning, but I, I also think that that's all, that's a, a solvable problem. Um, and it, and it's going to happen over time. And as more women view Bitcoin as a safe place, as an insurance policy against financial instability, uh, then I think that naturally does tend to appeal to women. Now, all that said, women tend to be better traders because they don't tend to be um, as reactionary. That There have been a lot of academic studies about that. Women tend to be more methodical, um, less emotional in trading. And, uh, and, and I think we may have seen fewer of the blowups in crypto had there been more women traders. But uh, I digress. I do want to come back and say that uh, the Wyoming blockchain initiative that I got involved in in 2017, it got started when I tried to donate appreciated Bitcoin to fund an endowment for female engineers at the University of Wyoming and discovered that Wyoming's money transmitter law um, uh, was poorly written and it precluded the money transmitters from doing business in Wyoming. So I had to figure out a different way to donate my, my appreciated Bitcoin back then. And uh, the whole ball got rolling. Since then, there are, are now approximately 30 bills that the state of Wyoming and five legislative sessions have enacted since then uh, to, to basically just define this as a legal industry and uh, and to welcome the industry into the state of Wyoming as an economic development initiative. But it started because I wanted to try to just quietly solve a problem that I saw at my previous startup, which is how hard it was to, to find female engineers. And this gets back to the, the question why so many women opt out of the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, and it is a fact, uh, myself included. I, I was uh, in eighth grade, one of the top people in the state of Wyoming on a math test and um, and then started in engineering in college. And uh, I, I joke, I'm a failed engineer, <laughs> but I didn't stick it out. And, and, you know, why is that? I definitely have some personal experience with that and would love to try to help women who are interested in the STEM fields and are get started in them like I did, stay in them. And that's indeed why I... Uh, why I created that endowment. Thanks to Satoshi, I was able to fund that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's so interesting. And it is such a, an important point as well. It's something that I've kind of touched on earlier. The first episode in this series was really around kind of finding that place, finding your people, finding your tribe within mm -hmm. the fintech space for women. And I think that it, it goes back even further as well. It is that trying to open up the space and encourage more women to come into work into it as well. And like I say, you know, there's that, it doesn't have to be necessarily the people going into university or the new graduates it can be people looking to change careers as well further on you know mid-30s you know you've still got another 30 years and your job your working life ahead of you you know you can you can have a complete career change so it's really about how to draw them in and show them that this is a viable path 
Uh, absolutely. And I did it mid-career. Mid I did it. Uh, I left Wall Street in 2016 for a blockchain startup. I knew while I was at Morgan Stanley, I, I, I ended up pursuing this. I, I got involved with uh, the internal Bitcoin forum. In, in the early couple of years, of course, I kept my head down thinking because, of course, back then nobody was interested in Bitcoin at all. And in fact, it was it was even viewed even more negatively than it is today by the compliance departments of the big banks. So I kept my head down and was very careful when I went to meetups after work or on weekends. I funded it myself and I did it on my own time and dime. Uh, but then I popped my head up around 20 late 2014 uh, and it started to become a topic within the banks. Um, and so I ended up deciding that I was I was probably by the end spending about half of my time on it at, while I was still at Morgan Stanley and then ended up wanting to go full time. Uh, and, um, and and I did. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it, that, that was a fraught path. It's funny to think of it now because all the big banks are dying to get in. But back then, um, there were all the big banks really, there, with one exception, I've publicly talked about how when I would meet, you know, the, the bankers who, who didn't want to reveal that they were bankers at the Bitcoin meetups in New York <laughs> in the, you know, in those early years, um, there was one firm where I met people where they, they didn't seem to be afraid. They didn't have a fear of getting fired. And it was Goldman Sachs. And I think that's an interesting um, observation on Goldman's willingness to support innovation and not to not to discourage it. Whereas every one of the other banks, uh, there was fear of, among those of us who were early um, on, on popping our heads up. Uh, but in my case, it, when I when I decided to participate in the Bitcoin forum at Morgan Stanley, it was funny because I was so I was further advanced in my career, shall we say, mm. uh, more experienced, got a little gray hair, so to speak. Um, and then uh, and because of that, the chief technology officer reached out to me and said, hey, can you come up to my office and walk me through this? Mm. Um, the, and, and you know, we don't want to miss this. And I developed a great relationship with him. He he was a skeptic. And it so helped me to harden, frankly, my views on on this technology and, and especially Bitcoin itself um, really being something truly new and different that is going to make everybody's lives better because we now have a, a form of money that isn't controlled by anyone, individuals or governments or banks at all, anyone, uh, because it's controlled by the network itself, which means it really devolves power back to people who haven't had a lot of power in the last mm -hmm. few decades in the world. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you, Caitlin, for talking us through your experience and your path so far into crypto. My pleasure. Hello and welcome to Chapter 3 of this episode of Disruptive Voices. I'm speaking with Ty Panich, CEO and CIO of SEB 10X. Ty was previously Chief Venture and Investment Officer at the Venture Investments Arm of Siam Commercial Bank, but was appointed CEO during August 2022. First of all, congratulations on your promotion, Ty. Thank you so much, Kimberly, and thank you for having me. To start with, cryptocurrencies are a strategic focus for SCB 10X, along with Web3 and DeFi. What are the goals of SCB 10X in this developing tech space? Yeah, so um, for us, um, we are the digital technology investment um, and venture builder of Siam Commercial Bank. Our goal is to prepare the bank for the future when the banking and financial services industry will be quite different from now. Um, 
we look for the potential disruptor that uh, will come to disrupt this industry and, and prepare the bank for the future. So um, when we first started SCB 10X at the beginning of uh, 2020, we looked at the uh, different areas um, that could disrupt the bank. And at the time we focused in five key areas, uh, which is FinTech, Future of Work and Lifestyle, Health and Wellness, IoT, and Deep Tech. And my team always said that uh, that's a lot and it covered everything in the world. And I was like, yeah, that is probably true, but we should narrow down um, to be the area that we really believe that it will be very disruptive. So um, we actually look at all those five areas, but um, when we came to FinTech, um, we look at blockchain because those are the area that uh, you know we have always been interested in and some of our um, startup that come out of the bank actually have uh, the exposure in as well. Uh, when we look at blockchain, we actually came to DeFi or decentralized finance. And, you know, it, I actually have been investing for um, this year will be 17 years now, um, investing in technology sector. Um, but at the time when we were looking, it was around like 14, 15 years and I have been doing tech investing. I have never seen, you know, anything like DeFi. Um, of course, I have seen so many software-related companies. Um, they are very efficient, but decentralized finance company, you know, they can have like 10 people and they can build crypto banks that have $10 billion of asset in the system. Something that I have never seen before that it could be that efficient. So we look um, in detail um, in DeFi space and then we saw that it has everything that the traditional finance have. Um, it can be like trading, derivatives, asset management, insurance, um, credit lending. Yeah, it has everything. So we thought that, wow, we really, really have to focus here because if um, if we don't, we could completely be disrupted. Um, you know, this crypto bank uh, could completely disintermediate the intermediary, which is bank, and then have the two counterparties like a lender and borrower do all the activities together and it could be very efficient because it use um, this smart contract, um, the code in smart contract govern everything, um, the relationship between the you know, counterparties, the interest rate that um, the borrower will have to pay, the lender when the interest have to be paid um, and, and whether it need collateral and when, when will it have like margin call and things like that. Yeah, everything can be done via software code in smart contract and then you know, it will not rely on any of the intermediary at all. Um, the, once the software code is being um, called on to execute because some condition is met, it will be executed regardless of, you know, whether like the borrower beg and plead, like, please don't uh, liquidate me. But, you know, it doesn't matter because the software code is going to be um, uh, executed exactly the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, so um, normally like when we look at the bank, right, the cost to income ratio um, can be quite high, like 40 to 60%. But um, in the crypto bank, uh, the DeFi crypto bank, we see that uh, the cost to income ratio is less than 10%. So something like this is um, very disruptive to us. And, and so since then, since um, middle 2020, we have been focusing a lot on this area of uh, blockchain, DeFi, Web3, 
because we see that um, you know there's potential so much of a disruptive impact that um, could totally change um, banking and financial services industry. And and our goal um, is the same as before: is to prepare the bank for the future. Um, and and we think that um, nothing is um, is as good as you know to try to prepare the bank by um, learning about this disruptive technology and then um, prepare the bank by partnering um, with the potential players um, that we we see that that could becoming a disruptive force and maybe we could work together um, so that we we could like um, integrate you know all these DeFi related protocol um, into the back end to make it much more efficient for our bank but then our bank continue to do the front end which is the customer service part yeah and 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 so you know we looking at a lot of these like um invest build and partner and see whether there's a way for us to to build from the our venture building side invest from the venture capital side or to partner or integrate with all these players in decentralized finance mm -hmm. yes great it sounds like it's such a there's so many opportunities that are coming up in the space there and I mean, so to move on to another point now, alongside your promotion, which was another great opportunity for you, mm -hmm. um, we also saw Pailin Vichakun, who was named your chief operating officer. And how common is it to see two women in senior positions in the crypto space in Asia? And do you see more opportunities opening up for more women to really kind of climb the ladder in crypto? I have to say that it's not common to see two women in the management position um, in the crypto focus we see in Southeast Asia or in Asia or actually maybe globally. But yeah, for, for us, I think in general, like um, for me, in general, I'm, I'm gender blind. It doesn't matter what gender, um, you know, other people in my team as long as they are very good, very capable, uh, which in this case, Pi is, um, you know, very, very strong um, in investment um, and, and very, very capable. And so she got promoted because, you know, of her um, capability and, and not because of uh, gender at all. Yeah, so in my team, I think um, our venture capital team, 50% of um, the team members are female. So I think... Uh, that might be high on the higher side compared to um, other VC. But um, yeah, the team is um, composed of a, a lot of strong women who are very good at what they're doing, which is um, you know, analyzing um, all these startups and, and why we should invest in this startup, what are the attractive um, startup and things like that, and how to, to find a good startup to invest in. Um, yeah, in general, I think that um, crypto space is very welcoming. Um, I, I have to say that um, I have always been in the male-dominated industry. So before I came to um, SCB 10X, um, originally I was an engineer by background, um, graduated from MIT undergrad grad school in electrical engineering and computer science. And after I graduated, I went to work in a startup in Silicon Valley. And I was one of the three female engineers. So I was an early employee. And uh, when we were about to get acquired, 
I was one of the three female engineers in the 125 people engineering firm. And then we got acquired um, by Broadcom um, after one and a half year for like $2 billion. So we were a unicorn before the word unicorn is um, you know, being talked about. And after that, I continued to work in engineering field for another two and a half years. So in total, oh, sorry, in another three and a half years. So in total, I was in engineering field for five years. And then after that, I went to business school and then made a career transition into investment management. So in hedge fund, I also one of the few female analysts who cover technology. And then later, I also became a portfolio manager um, in hedge fund. And there are very few female portfolio manager, let alone female portfolio manager who cover um, tech sector. So I'm very familiar with uh, being in a male-dominated um, industry. When we come to SCB10X um, and, and start exploring crypto space, I have to say that uh, unlike any other sector, crypto is very welcoming um, to all. I think uh, the ethos to begin with of crypto is um, open, is um, open and inclusive, and I think it's really show on that because like um, when I first came to to do crypto um, back in 2017, you know, I started reading about Bitcoin and dabble a um, little bit about crypto and and things like that, but not much at all. But when I came to SB10X and, and we really start looking at crypto in, in a much, much more um, focus, and, and later it became pretty much our main focus. Um, when we talk to people in the industry, it's really welcoming. It's really not about gender at all. It's about like, um, you know, why are you here? Are you here to build? Are you here to invest? Um, are you here to create awareness and educate people um, are you here for the long term rather than trying to um, be speculative and, and make short term gains? And, and people recognize that yeah, we, we actually do many um, activities beyond just investing and building. We host conference, we invited um, many of the top founders of crypto space and uh, top crypto VC to be the speaker. And then we open it to the public to come and listen so that they could um, understand about this space, how fascinating the technology and, and um, get to understand uh, in detail from you know, the people who are building in the space. And then we also host hackathon like three times a year um, so that we could build a community of uh, developers to come build with us or build with our partner. Um, yeah, so all, all these type of thing, you know, um, even during crypto winter, we still continue to do this. We we host um, the conference uh, third year in a row um, back in July. And then we also have um, the hackathon coming. We had the block camp that um, we took the students um, in the university to go to the beach town and touch them um, smart contract, how to write smart contract and how to build project in Web3 because we really believe that um, you know, teaching the universe students, the young people on how to um, build, how to code, that's probably the best thing because you have to you know, develop the talents in this industry because it's such a new industry, not many people are the expert. Yeah, and, and so we, we really like um, you know, be here because we really believe in 
um, crypto and blockchain that it could completely uh, in the future make a much more um, um, efficient uh, financial system. And, and we want to be part of it and we want our bank to learn and to adopt and to partner and integrate you know, with the right player in the space. Um, yeah, in general, like, um, even though like, you know, my my team member are like female, we never felt anything um, being in the crypto space. We actually feel very welcome. Um, we got a lot of support from male and female founder in crypto. We got a lot of support from, um, you know, the crypto VC. Um, in general, we felt even more welcome because the space is so new. And, and so people, you know, are moving very fast and they want to get the partner to collaborate with um, because, um, you know, the more collaboration they get, the ecosystem they could expand, um, the more user they could bring in into that protocol and things like that. And, and so we actually partner with a lot of players, collaborate with many of the players in the ecosystem and, and build together and invest in them and things like that, yeah. And, and yeah, we never felt um, anything that, um, you know, being excluded or, or some sort of um, gender bias. No, that's great. It's good to hear that there's so much, such a welcoming attitude. And there's certainly, it sounds like there's a lot of steps in place that are really helping to introduce more women into crypto, maybe away from some of the more traditional banking sectors, as you've kind of already mentioned there. Um, but to kind of look at it from a different angle, um, do you think that developments in crypto and the metaverse are being developed to help to work for women? And is there anything being created specifically to tackle women's pain points in traditional banking and investing? Mm, yeah, I think in general, like there's a lot of building going on um, and it's very welcoming for anybody to come in to build. I think in general, women might feel intimidated about crypto space because it's quite technical. And, you know, for people who um, have not learned about like all this jargon before coming in and, and start like um, listening to the crypto podcast or, or read the Twitter might, might get a little bit uh, intimidated like, oh, what are what are these things? Uh, what are what's going on? And, and that might intimidate a lot of, um you know, female. But I have to say that um, the space is like super new and it evolving very, very fast. So whatever, you know, got created two years ago and then um, you try to be the expert for the last two years, next year, it might completely change and then um, it might completely be disrupted and then you have to learn new things again or new protocol or new tech that happen. Um, and, and therefore, like um, in, in my mind, I feel that um, even though we have been in the space you know, for like close to three years now, but we constantly have to learn new things. Um, so it's the industry that um, people can come in and learn together. And that's so um, many free, um, you know, materials or uh, free writings or, you know, all these um, research that are free to access to read. And there's a lot of podcasts, free podcasts, um so people can totally come in and, and learn and, and therefore i just wanted to say that um you know it's general for women out there who are very interested in in this area should just come in 
um, come down the rabbit hole and, and come to study blockchain and crypto because um, this uh, technology is um, very, very fascinating and, and and it will be like a force of disruptive to many, many industries just like, um, you know, internet back in 2000 that it could have so much impact to, to so many sector. And, you know, like all these um, new technology that uh, have the exponential disruptive nature, um, there's so much opportunity for the people who are early in the space. And, and so I would like, um, you know, recommend people who are um, looking to, you know, dig their feet in or have interest to just come in and, and learn. You know, there's so much um, you, you can learn and, and uh, opportunity to jump in to build. Yeah. Um, in general, like with her, yeah, with her, there's um, any application specifically for women? Um, I'm not sure whether there is um, any specific application for women yet, but in general, you know, it's like a blank canvas that people could come in and create like new applications or, um, you know, the app or anything that uh, they think that um, could benefit um, in general the real world. In, in my mind, um, you know, crypto space right now, a lot of it is, um, is about, um, investment about trading but uh, for the institutional investor and, and for um, this space to to be like um, the space that a lot of um you know the next like billion user to come in it has to have um the real world use case and and that um, we started to see um, some of the real world use case but um you know of of all those real world use case normally it start quite slow and then people have to be patient about it. That's great, Ty. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving your insights. It sounds like there's definitely a lot of opportunity still to be explored in the crypto space. Welcome back to the fourth chapter in this episode on cryptocurrencies. I'm joined by Tina Baker-Taylor, Vice President of Policy and Regulatory Strategy in the UK and EU with Circle, I'm board member of Crypto UK. Thanks for speaking with me today, Tina. Oh, thanks for having me, Kimberly. So to start off with, as someone who has worked across different sectors of banking throughout your career, what drew you into working in crypto? Well, I had spent the majority of my career in uh, banking and most specifically in payments in transaction banking. And I had been working on a number of different types of innovation projects, looking at how blockchain could be used to add efficiencies to things like supply chain finance and payments. And it was quite early in the assessment period, if you will, um, at the bank level um, or really kind of major corporates around how distributed ledger technology, as we refer to it then, um, could offer, you know, greater efficiencies or, or cost savings. Um, but a lot of these were at the proof of concept stage. And so there was a little bit of Groundhog Day, you know, going through POC after POC um, and not really taking anything to market. And so through that process, 
I obviously learned a lot about the technology and most specifically about the benefits of tokenization. And as I kind of went down that rabbit hole around the 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 real promise of of tokenization which you know at that point in time was really focused on cryptocurrencies so you know we're talking early bitcoin uh, ethereum had just come to market and really the only thing that you could do at that point was buy them hold them uh and and maybe trade them speculatively across different exchanges uh, but it also brought to mind a number of you know real concerns that i had around you know privacy and the explosion of the creation of data and how we were creating you know large honeypots of information um, that became vectors for attack and so you know how would um, this next new technology fit within kind of that paradigm as well. And so um, it just became really increasingly important to me that I work with the technology every day. Um, and of all of the use cases that I had experienced for me, uh, crypto assets, cryptocurrencies um, were the thing that were kind of live in the market that you could you know, point to as something that maybe not super easy to use, but they were usable. They they were assets that were live um, and, and in use. And so I thought, well, I can keep working on these blockchain POCs, or I can actually get into the industry that I'm most interested in. And I think for me, the primary interest for crypto at that time and remains today is the ability to really decentralize finance and more specifically create better access for people in society that either have limited access or have been you know, systemically excluded. And so we're starting to see um, as adoption grows um, and as more stability enters the markets, uh, use cases for, you know, payments and, and uh, cross-border remittances um, and peer-to-peer and -peer transactions, and also removing some friction from the kind of internet uh, of payments start to, to really come to life. And for me, that is one of the, the major benefits of, of tokenization and of, you know, crypto assets or, or, you know, digital currencies is that kind of financial and, and gender inclusion mm, uh, element. That's really interesting if you're seeing that kind of the real life retail aspects to it as well. Now, if you are seeing it around a kind of a financial inclusion piece, because, you know, I've kind of spoken to a couple of people already for this and we've, we've talked around how, um, you know, crypto has been used almost as like a speculative tool or kind of like a, that kind of get rich quick scheme or something like that. But actually, you know, if we're seeing that kind of stability come into it now where it can be used as a financial inclusion piece, that's that's a really interesting development. So we are seeing the transition from uh, more speculative aspects of, of crypto assets into these more tangible use cases. And the way that I think about it is with any new technology, there's always a speculative phase. If you look at any innovation hype cycle, um, that, that has happened with everything, the internet, email, et cetera. Um, and so part of that is you know, the raising of capital and also experimentation. And so that, that period is important 
important. It creates, you know, the the funding um, and the use cases to be able to continue to, to build on the technology. And I think that's where we are today. Um, if you look at the payments um, and, and specifically the cross-border use case, I think, you know, we can now point to very specific, tangible projects. Uh, one of them is MoneyGram. So everybody knows who MoneyGram is. You know, it's a worldwide remittances provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, Western Union, similar. You walk mm-hmm. into a branch and you're able to either send money or receive money. Um, MoneyGram now has a partnership with Stellar. Um, so the Stellar blockchain, if you have a Stellar wallet, you can uh, send and receive money via MoneyGram um, through your Stellar wallet. And it's connected to Circle's USDC. So if I send USDC to you and you're in Mexico, you can walk into a branch in Mexico. That USDC is sitting there waiting for you to claim. You can either just put it straight onto your wallet and keep it in USDC, or you can cash it out at MoneyGram. And so that is a real life use case of instant, you know, settlement or near instant settlement, uh, very low cost to transmit that transaction. And that can happen, you know, very close to real time. Um, that is a significant increase in, uh, both the kind of operability of of a digital currency, but also for those people um, that use those services, it is significantly cheaper and faster. There's a great blog on the uh, Circle blog page. Um, we had a summer intern um, and she had decided to join Circle uh, for her internship because she was from Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and was going to university in the U.S. and had a number of challenges, you know, receiving money from her parents and kind of funding uh, a university because her bank accounts were all in Puerto Rico and there wasn't a great um, remittance corridor. And then she spent a year uh, abroad in Europe and that kind of further complicated things. And she uh, found USDC um, and set up wallets and was able to, you know, fund everything she needed to fund in the U.S. and and go to Europe without any challenges and um, significantly reduce the cost and also kind of the efficiency around um, remitting money back and forth from Puerto Rico. And she's she's written a blog um, for Circle on her experience and what attracted her to the company to do her internship. So that was... um, so that is the real use case um, from, you know, a real person that I know that one, you know, ch- found the technology, obviously, before she she did her internship at Circle, but she was attracted to the company because she felt like um, within the digital asset space, we were working on things that were tangible, that were making a difference to people. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And you know, you talk around the importance of the the financial inclusion bit, and I think that kind of leads on to the next question is that, and you're talking about writing blogs as well. I read a piece that you'd written where you say that women are not being intentionally excluded from crypto, but you'll argue that we aren't being intentionally included either. And what experiences do you have that make you say this? So I think that at the time I wrote that piece, it was probably, you know, about a year ago. And the question that was posed to me was around bringing more women into not just working in crypto, but using the technology. And why didn't 
you know, why was there a gender disparity? Because it's brand new, it's open to everyone. Um, the crypto community is quite welcoming. You know, the, these are things that, you know, we we hear and we read about and, you know, people talk about at events. So why do we still have, you know, a gender gap in adoption um, if this is kind of brand new? And so I think what it draws on are, you know, the way that women are kind of, you know, across the world, really, um, socialized into financial services. There's a really great YouTube video um, called the, The Gender Experiment, and it's looking at financial services and kind of financial acumen uh, across both sexes. And it starts by asking, there's 100 people standing in a room and they ask them very benign questions. You know, have you ever driven yourself to work? You know, have you, you know, ever, um, you know, bought a TV? And then it gets a little bit more complicated into, you know, have you applied for a loan unassisted? Um, do you pay your utility bills yourself? Have you ever applied for a mortgage unassisted insurance products? Etc. And when they ask these questions, if you have, you step forward, and if you haven't, you step back. And over the course of you know a series of questions, we see that the majority of the people at the front of the room are men, and the majority of the people at the back of the room are women. And a lot of that has to do, especially in um, maybe non-emerged markets, the financial responsibility typically falls to men. But I would argue that that's still the same in the West. Right. For a lot of for a lot of people, um, you know, your your father handles things and then your husband handles things. And, you know, you hear stories, um, certainly with older generations where you know somebody loses a spouse um, and, you know, the wife doesn't know where their you know, finances sit and, and how to, you know, make payments and who they need to send money to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that some of that is improving generationally, but some of that is just also the way that that women um, are educated about their own finances. I think secondly, um, the crypto industry's marketing doesn't necessarily target women the way that women think. There is a misnomer, I think, uh, amongst you know, financial services in general, but certainly within crypto that, you know, women just aren't into crypto because they don't like risk. And I think that's very binary um, and lacks a lot of nuance. It's not, I think that women don't have a risk appetite. It's just different than potentially uh, men's risk appetite. And when you look at why that is, you know, typically women are the caretakers of the home, right? And so, you know, they are buying school uniforms, they are doing the weekly shop. um, And so they're kind of managing those household finances. Um, But when you're looking at investing, um, again, we go back to this financial acumen piece where, you know, there isn't the same level of maybe comfort or knowledge. And so within crypto, um, there hasn't been, I think, that kind of nuanced approach to speaking to women and marketing to women around the things that are important to them. So for example, um, 
earlier, you know, two, three, four years ago, most of the crypto marketing is is based on the speculative phase and the trading aspects and and you know making money day trading, for example, versus savings products that provide you with a yield. And so if you're talking to a woman about you know, a savings product that provides a yield or a passive income um, and, you know, the pros and cons of that and the things that go alongside with that. So security, how to use a hard wallet, you know, some of these more kind of tangible things that provide you with a greater level of comfort that you have some control over these assets has tended to be missing. And so I think it is just part of the maturation of the market and understanding that like with any product or service that the audience that you're talking to um, is not a one size fits all. And so when we're talking about, you know, bringing women in intentionally, I think it is, you know, looking at how some of those promotions are worded um, and understanding that, you know, maybe women aren't going to participate on, on, I'm generalizing, obviously, but in a trading competition, but they might be very interested in participating in a learn and earn scheme mm. where you're watching some videos and then you're getting rewards in crypto. Um, and so being able to kind of target your audience um, and understanding that women intake information differently and different information is important to women sometimes versus men um, is is. I think what we need to do more of, just like we would market segment any other type of audience. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Like just kind of having that different focus and to kind of move on to the to the last point now. And um, this kind of came from my own my own experience of like obviously working in the financial journalism space. You know, I kind of encounter things from one aspect, but then, you know, I also encounter the world of finance and business from kind of as a, a, you know, just a general consumer and from the outside space. And, you know, for me, kind of internally talking about crypto, I hear a lot of things from some people, but then outside of my career, kind of the perception is completely different. And so that kind of comes down to what I think is popularly known as the crypto bro. Um, And, you know, there's this kind of perception of this kind of, um, you know, young guy who is just this kind of crypto evangelical and is quite bullish with it and is not very inclusive into the space and things like that. And, you know, what do you think this kind of popular culture representation then maybe of a crypto investor does? And do you think it puts women off? And more importantly, do you think that the industry is trying to do anything to change this perception of there being this one type of person who is into crypto to the exclusion of everybody else? So I think that that I'll take your last question first. So is the industry working to be more inclusive? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. And you can point to a number of surveys and studies that are now ongoing. Um, Gemini does a annual study around, you know, adoption, specifically kind of looking at how women are using crypto assets, um, how likely they are to buy them, use them, save them, et cetera. Um, BlockFi has also done, you know, a study that, that, they have repeated. Um, so those are, you know, key industry players. 
um, that have access to, you know, a white audience and, and quite a lot of data. So I think that the problem has been identified, uh, how to kind of move um, forward and and be truly more inclusive. There are a number of women-led projects that um, are specifically focused on bringing more women into the space. Clutch Wallet is one. It's, you know, quite a nice name. Every woman knows what a clutch is. You know, it's your tiny little, you know, handbag mm -hmm. or purse. Um, and this is, you know, it's directed at women. It provides tools for women. It provides education for women. And it's not exclusive of men. Mm. It's tailored in its narrative and tone toward women, which is what I was kind of referring to earlier. I think equally speaking, there are more women coming into the industry. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions I get asked a lot is, well, how do I hire more women? And I'm like, it's a bit of a catch 22. You need to hire more women because women will be attracted to your company because there's other women, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have had people over the years want me to, to join in a senior leadership role because they have, you know, their executive leadership team is all men. There's seven of them and they need a woman. Um, and so, you know, th there, there has to be that woman that's willing to kind of be that kind of token woman or that mm. first step, right? But then you need to be, you know, hiring women that are also going to be willing and and able to be you know public um you know speak at events and and talk to you know you on podcasts and show other women that this is a comfortable place for women to work right and we've seen that increase um exponentially the uh crypto bro um is uh i, I mean I personally, my experience hasn't been that I've been put off mm. by crypto bros, but I also came from finance mm. already. Um, and finance is, you know, typically very male as well. So I was comfortable and kind of used to being one of few women in the room. Um, and I think the tech has traditionally also been quite male. And so, mm. you know, you put those two together in a fintech environment. Um, and crypto is to me kind of a subset of, of crypto as well, uh, or a subset of fintech. Um, and, and you kind of have the same challenges, right? So um, I, I have heard that women have had, you know, experiences that have been different to mine and that um, the environments where communities are built, when community driven development, marketing, you know, platform growth is, is very focused on, you know, ideology in a lot of cases and community. And so how do we bring women into those communities so that they can learn about the technology um, and the products and services in a way that where they feel welcome? And I think that's what you're talking about. So typically, you know, if I think back to six years ago, if I went to a Bitcoin meetup, it would be pizza and beer in a bar somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I might be the only woman in the room. And for a lot of women, that can be very intimidating. Yeah. Um, and there have been, you know, a, a number of women that have said, yeah, that was my experience and it wasn't particularly comfortable and it was kind of hard going. Um, there's a number of groups now today and organizations I belong to. Um, I sit on the board of something called Crypto Connect <sighs> is a networking organization. It is women led. 
every board member is a woman and every you know city or community leader um, is led by a woman, but it is not exclusive of men. Mm. But it does provide that environment where when we're organizing events, we're probably more likely to pick a venue where a woman would feel comfortable as opposed to, you know, a dark bar with mm. pizza and beer. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And it sounds like there's some steps being taken there definitely to open up the community to to more women as well. And like you say, I mean, this I've kind of mentioned before on this podcast series already, but this was kind of my reason for wanting to do this was really to draw more women in and hopefully maybe some women can listen to this and find there actually there is a community out there for them they didn't realize was available. Yeah. And, you know, the I it, it don't want to be, you know, again, kind of exclusive of men. But, you know, I also believe that as the technology and the use cases uh, start to mainstream more and they grow more, um, it is less um, specific to kind of that cypherpunk, you know, early tech mm. um, environment, right? So we have institutions coming in, we have, you know, NFTs have brought in a lot of, you know, FMCG brands. Um, it's becoming more um, mainstream in its awareness. And so by that very nature of being a little bit more, you know, expansive in its reach, the communities are becoming more diverse. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tina. No, thank you for having me. It's been great to chat to you. Welcome back to the final chapter in this episode on cryptocurrencies. I'm joined by Rachel Lynn, co-founder and CEO of Sim Futures. Thanks for speaking with me, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Hi. To begin with, what was your motivation to move from working in the global markets division of a multinational bank, which was what you did previously, to moving into a space like cryptocurrencies? Yeah, sure. Uh, yes, I moved all the way from like traditional finance to fintech to blockchain and started my career in uh, Deutsche Bank, uh, specialized in derivative sales and trading before I moved to a fintech company, Alipay or N Financial, uh, where I uh, um, led their first versions of blockchain platform. And that's when I grow lots of interest uh, into blockchain and later on join a centralized crypto service provider matrix for and started uh, seeing futures. Uh, right now, uh, the largest uh, decentralized uh, derivative trading platform on public blockchain, uh, Polygon. Yeah, I think that my uh, experience with the traditional finance and web tool fintech really helped me understand both the I would say importance and the problems of the current financial systems. And uh, I recall when I first account, uh, encountered blockchain, uh, uh, I mean, like uh, the excitement was there uh, since um, uh, I have come to come realize that um, the technology might really uh, bring revolution to the industry and provide more transparency, openness, and equal access to everyone. And... I think it's really interesting what you're doing because it's like kind of the the next step, I think, in the world of cryptocurrencies and crypto evolution. But with so many people who are still getting used to the idea of cryptocurrencies and the amount of people globally who hold any form of cryptocurrency is actually like quite small, you know, really compared to like the global population. Uh, is there really a need for a, for a decentralized derivatives trading platform already like you've established? 
Yeah, I think in the past, there's always this, this discussion on whether you should use like centralized financial services versus a decentralized ones. But I, I think it has never been easier for me uh, to answer these questions right now uh, when uh, FTX, which is one of their largest centralized crypto derivative exchange, uh, went from being just valued at like $32 billion something to falling for bankruptcy within just a few days. Um, as a centralized uh, platform, as a, uh, to give some backgrounds, uh, they just were able to secretly lend their customers' funds to affiliate companies who made extremely risky bets and suffer very heavy loss. Um, but in decentralized world, like, uh, like us, I mean, in, in Sync Futures, uh, you could enjoy, number one, full transparency. So everything's uh, open up and you don't need to worry about uh, your centralized counterparty. I mean, using your money for other purpose. And number two, I mean, like um, enjoy the openness and much lower entry barriers, I would say. Uh, it was like in this decentralized finance world, you have one set of accounts and password, which is keys. Uh, you have access to every single um, uh, products out there on the blockchains. Uh, previously, JP Morgan only accepts, I mean, high network person and keep their person, uh, keep their customer within their own bank for their own bank's products. But right now, so everyone could enjoy that services. Um, and thirdly, I think that although it's not found in every DeFi project, but like Sync Futures like ourselves was able to make possible uh, with the uh, blockchain technology to introduce a fully, permission, fully permissionless model. So it's a paradigm shift. Uh, shift. Uh, previously, I mean, when you trade with some centralized services, it's like uh, they are the high-end store who determine what is the goods that you are be, you will be able to buy. But here, uh, it's more like an Amazon where many people can come in and supply uh, interesting assets and uh, anyone could... Uh, uh, it's the users who decide what are the um, uh, who, what are the assets out there uh, for you to trade. So we felt for the losses that um, uh, uh, that occur from FTX, but um, I think the silver lining is that people are right now awakened to the need of transparency, risk management, and we even saw all-time high in trading volume lately. Uh, not only for us, but uh, for across lots of uh, different uh, DeFi uh, de decentralized finance uh, platform. And it's really interesting you mentioned around FTX and what happened there. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's pretty, pretty big. Um, what have you yeah. seen from amongst your your users, your customers? How have how have they reacted to the asset class of crypto? And are they is, has it affected confidence? Are they still happy to use? What has been the 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 fallout from that on on your business? Uh I would say uh, for crypto as a general, yes, uh, the uh, users are impacted and lots of institutions uh, uh, were right now uh, more hesitate to enter into the space, uh, especially uh, because of the fact that the FTX uh, has been marketing uh, crypto heavily to regulators and institutions. Uh, but as I mean, within the crypto space, uh, DeFi, decentralized finance has been attracting more 
users than ever before uh, due to their openness and transparency. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And to move on to another point now. So one of the the focuses that you have is you want to make crypto derivatives accessible to a wider audience of users. Like we said, you know, it's not crypto still isn't the, the most widely used um, asset class out there. And yeah, I wanted to ask, are women amongst this group that you're encouraging to get involved? And if so, what are you doing to specifically target them to bring them in and encourage them to use crypto to invest in this asset class? I think the answer is no, I'm not doing anything targeting mm. women uh, itself as a group specifically. I mean, yes, I think like we have almost uh, about 40% female engineers mm. uh, in the most difficult sector, if you would say the, the blockchain smart contract development. And yes, we are providing, I think I, I was probably say that one of the most easy to use user interface mm-hmm. uh, in the decentralized finance derivative space. but. Uh, None of this uh, was done intentionally targeting women. Uh, in fact, I have very strong belief that uh, women is definitely going to enjoy huge success uh, in Web3 sector. Um, uh, why? Um, I think, in my opinion, the uh, gender discrimination is one that actually associated with different civilization phases of human evolution, if you would say. I mean, um, if you could recall, uh, when did women begin to gain much more social status? It is after industrial revolution, right? Mm. Uh, uh, Why? Because I think technology has advanced to such a level that uh, where much less human physical strength is required. Uh, in, in ancient times, lots of activities that create economic value or bring in survival critical resources is very, let's say, labor intense, like heavy lifting, hunting, fighting with wild animals. Uh, and does the male would have uh, much more say in these activities. Uh, but um, um, but I think like uh, with the advancings of technologies, uh, I mean, the condition has been improving for uh, female. And uh, what's better than the current economic stage is that in my industry, uh, the Web3 space, uh, it is number one, much more digital. So, uh, I mean, like here, the physical difference, uh, the strength difference is, uh, is just negligible. And and I would argue that uh, women could do as good uh, as male uh, in terms of mathematics or, or, or physics. And uh, I myself would be a lot of uh, boys when I was in college mm. as a girl, right? Uh, and lots of my colleagues right now are female. Uh, actually, one of the most talented ones uh, is a girl. And, uh, uh, and secondly, in Web3 space, I think there are much more flexibility in their working environment. So uh, in this transition periods, uh, I mean, people, uh, actually, I think in Web3, um, many projects don't even have an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are global and re- they work remotely. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
although you join a company, uh, you work much more like a freelancer. And uh, and in fact, company, uh, they believe that uh, we believe that uh, would cease to exist and be replaced with DAO. I mean, this uh, decentralized autonomous organization. So even in this transitional period, uh, since you are working uh, from home, I mean, like women could uh, cater to both work uh, and family, let's say more easily say, mm-hmm. I could just uh, have dinner with my child during six to 8 p.m. and uh, start working on something that I'm interested uh, after uh, she went to bed. Mm-hmm. And um, if your husband and yourself are both at home, uh, there's no excuse for the husband to say that, hey, sorry, since I'm earning a higher salary, I have to work in the office late at night and all the housework are on your shoulder, right? So mm. um, even in these transitional periods, uh, the Web3 space is really a places where uh, the working environment's been uh, significantly improved. And uh, because it's the globally distributed to natures and people could walk away to other projects easily. I mean, the hu- female skills of coordinations and I mean the the touch of people that without being I mean uh, physically face in face uh, would also excel. Mm. So yeah, some of my uh, colleagues, uh, the project managers, are also uh, 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 female. So so mm. yeah, I believe that uh, we will see the day come. Yeah. Mm. That's really interesting. It is an interesting shift as well. We've seen with the the working from home off the back of the pandemic. So it's um definitely a time for opportunity and change. So what what would you say to women who are maybe interested in moving into working in the Web3 space, but aren't really sure how to make the leap or what skills they need? What would you advise them to do? Um, I think the answer is that don't hesitate. Just, just try out yourself. I mean, mm. like... Uh, just try, I mean, like owning the first, uh, although it could be just a tiny amount and try to use decentralized applications and try to join a DAO, a decentralized uh, autonomous uh, organizations. Uh, you could do it, I mean, part-time. I mean, try to, uh, I mean, like uh, be a part-time contributor to some of the interesting projects that you uh, you like. Uh, the door is open for almost every project. I mean, in soon futures, we recruit lots of ambassadors and and, and I think that most of the Web3 projects are doing the same. And uh, once you're there, and then you found the interesting area that you would uh, like to work with. And then with that, uh, the tangible touch, uh, uh, you know uh, what you learned. And uh, I'm sure that uh, with lots of uh, YouTubes, uh, videos, and courses, tutorials out there, you could easily pick up the skills. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Thank you so much for your time today, Rachel. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Disruptive Voices, a monthly podcast from The Banker. You can listen at thebanker.com, Acast, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.